0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Coming to America. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but it probably helps if you have seen it, as there are some spoilers and discussions of the content. So if you do proceed, just be aware that if you do listen, the film Coming to America will probably be spoiled for you enjoy hello 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 i can see your face quick turn it off there we go
0: That is generally the reaction I get when people see my face.
1: <laughs> oh god. <laughs> it's monstrous. No, nah, I'm joking. You're you're very handsome.
0: Oh, I well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. We are a pair of handsome gentlemen, I think.
1: Definitely. Which is why we're doing this on a podcast and not on a YouTube channel.
0: I I do wonder whether at some point we should do like a, a big boys do stream. Yeah. Or something along those lines.
1: One of my favourite podcasts, Back to Work, with Merlin Mann and Dan Benjamin. It's like mostly a tech and productivity cast, but they're very cool guys and it's very funny. Um, they always like do it live and then do it live. And then people um, like type up comments and stuff. They don't really engage with the, the listeners, but it's always like you know that you could. Or like a lot of people do tune in live like it's like a live radio show. But I also like the fact oh, cool, yeah. that with ours that I can edit out anything stupid that I say. Not that I've ever had to do that, or have I? Who knows?
0: It's it's true. You you never say anything dumb. I do worry about the content that I sometimes come out with.
1: Yeah. Hashtag content. Hashtag, hashtag brand. <laughs> hashtag globe exit. <laughs> I still can't quite work out what that's supposed uh... to mean from the flat earthers it's like are they saying we should like the globe should exit some kind of greater confederation that is stopping it from being you know able to choose its own destiny to go down the toilet because it seems if it's supposed to be like a brexit type analogy it just seems like it doesn't work
0: yeah i think i think there's many there's many things which are confusing about the flat earth theory that um that is one of the one of the main ones that's a real head scratcher. I I read it more as a the theory of the globe should be exited from discourse, right? And then instead, we're on a flat plane.
1: You, or you should you should exit to the globe theory from your mind.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Exit pursued by a globe.
0: <laughs> exit pursued by David Ike.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well as we as we heard on last week's podcast his footballing career actually was was pretty pretty feeble. So I don't think he'd be able to chase you that far especially not now as well he's quite old now isn't he? He is yeah.
0: Yeah because I I I I didn't know to what extent he'd got through. I know he started at Coventry um as a as a youth prospect but I didn't realize it went that far downhill for him so quickly. Yeah. So he's clearly he's clearly found his calling in calling out the lizard men.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. he's obviously somehow making a living off of it, isn't he?
0: Yeah, I think. Right, like, it must be. If you come up with a theory captivating enough, it must be quite easy to then make money off the back of it. And he's clearly got that nailed down to a T.
1: Yeah.
0: Not that I'm suggesting that he doesn't believe everything he says, but he's managed to create this legacy of content that other people find incredibly appealing
1: that's the thing you just have to convince people that you believe it and then that seems to have its own kind of um magnetic pull doesn't it convict conviction is an attractive quality on a personal level i think that's actually part of the reason that the flat earth theory has gotten so far is that some people are so their conviction that the earth is flat is so huge that it seems to rub off on other people who are impressionable
0: yeah, I, I I think so, yeah. Um, it's it's yeah, it's one of those things where if, if enough people shout about it long enough it stops becoming a lie and starts becoming the truth.
1: Yeah. Billy Jean is not my lover.
0: He's <laughs> just a girl who said that the earth was a globe.
1: And <laughs> the kid is not my moon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i was editing the because we're we do our we do record our podcast ahead and it's quite a weird schedule i was editing the william and kate episode earlier that's that's a good episode some some great stuff in there a lot of stuff i to enjoyed
0: love. i enjoyed chatting about it i'm looking forward to listening to it back
1: yeah me too we can definitely listen back to that one and have a lot of fun um how's you how have you been since did i speak to you on monday a few days
0: yes yeah um i've been i've been all right i've been um very excited about the new nine inch nails ep which has dropped oh yeah um and is very very cool it's very very different there's some very bold choices that have been made in terms of like songwriting and stuff like that so yeah i'm all over it i'm giving it a few listens over cool
1: he's just the machine Um, isn't he
0: He is, yeah. He went through many years of like not releasing new material for like five years at a time. And then um, recently, he's just been powering through. So he's been releasing like, uh, like various very critically acclaimed albums, also getting Oscars for soundtrack work, getting Oscar nominations for other soundtrack work. And now he's released two EPs in the space of about six months, seven months of each other.
1: And he always seems to do it just at the point where you think, oh, Nine Inch Nails haven't released anything in a while. And then suddenly there it is
0: yeah exactly he, he's very i think they're very clever from a business angle yeah like trent resner and um the various people that he works with they really got it nailed down in terms of business and they always seem to be very much on the cusp of uh what makes things exciting from a business side so um a few years ago they released an entire album for free and it was Mm -hmm. one of the first bands to kind of do that in that way particularly of that sort of like caliber of artist as well
1: i remember that really really Um, well i mean i wasn't i've never been like a massive fan i think i I like a couple of their songs i appreciate what they do but i think i had a friend at the time who was super into them and was saying that they released their album for free and i was like you what mate that is the stupidest thing i've ever heard (laughs) way back when (laughs) Um,
0: and, and one of one of the most interesting things they actually did was they released all of like the multi tracks for various albums online for free, mm. and then set up this whole website for people to then remix it and share their remixes of songs.
1: That's right, yeah.
0: Um, which is really interesting. I don't think it's it's still around. I think that then got shut down eventually. But um, it yeah, it was fascinating. You could go to this website and there was hundreds upon hundreds of remixes. Um, that had sort of been, uh, and then they had voted on, so you could pick out the ones that, like, the community had thought were the best and stuff like that. And some of them were were really brilliant.
1: That's wicked. That's a really good example of participatory culture in the digital age, as academic eggheads mm-hmm. like to call it. <laughs> Talked about that I in my PhD. I just liked them. I just
0: liked them angry electronic songs. They were well good.
1: Yeah, they were well good. Yeah, are well good. Still. Yes. Cool. But this is a film podcast. We're here today to talk about the film Coming to America, as suggested by my dad, good old MJ. So it's a request. We're slowly working our way through the requests. All the others are marked up as requests on the list. So if you've made a request, we'll get to it eventually. But yeah, I jumped on this one as my choice because I I think I had vaguely heard of it, but I definitely never seen it. Um, and he's, as he said it, it's a, it's an eighties black rom com and I thought that was a good a good place for us to go in terms of discussing a broader spectrum of films. And um I like Eddie Murphy, I like the eighties, you know, I thought I thought it was gonna be good. Um what did you make of it?
0: Um, it's a movie that I remember really, really enjoying um when I was younger. Um in that kind of uh, very much an 80s comedy spectrum um and i did enjoy it a lot and I, there's lots of things about it that i really enjoy and i think there's a lot of great one-liners and stuff like that um but yeah i'm not sure if i enjoyed it as much as i did when i was younger
1: no as i have to say as someone seeing it for the first time now I didn't get very much enjoyment out of it. Like you said, there were a lot of lines that were good, and there were some some very funny moments of physical comedy. But on the whole, it felt very, very dated, and in very in a number of different ways to me. Um, and it, yeah, it wasn't that easy to watch. Whereas I suspect that if I had seen it when I was younger, I'd be looking back on it a bit more fondly. But I was only really focusing on the negative things, which is which is a shame, obviously because it is a, a oh, okay. good and enjoyable film but in, in many ways. But, yeah, it was very, very hard for me, I think, even after the first sort of five minutes, because it opens quite strongly and quite funnily, but it really, really dropped into a really, really stereotypical portrayal of Africa that just was really offensive, and I couldn't get past that. What do you reckon?
0: So what, I, I'm not sure how much I agree about the portrayal of Africa, in as much as it's like a send up of it and it avoided quite a lot of what i do like about it a lot is that it avoids lots of the um stereotypes of africa being a poor continent that were very pervasive in the 1980s in particular um so you've got all these incredibly affluent people from this from this nation in africa um and there's none of the sort of like starving kids and stuff like that, which was really sort of like the 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 western conscious thought of Africa at the time, yeah, um which I did like and i thought I thought of it more as a send up of ideas of Africa more than um, more than a, a direct portrayal of this is what's funny about African culture.
1: Yeah, I think you know what I mean. through, throughout it, it was walking that line very, very carefully. And at times I felt like it was on the send up side. And at times I felt like it wasn't. And it was, yeah, that was, it was hard for, it was hard to work out for me. I felt I felt a bit conflicted, as you said, like it, like I thought it was sending it up. And some sometimes it just felt like, oh, every time it's Africa, there's like elephants and lions and tigers and stuff. And then later on when the, the guy, um, the douchebag guy with the hair, um who is quite a funny character to be fair he's he's like um making jokes about africa being being poor and like you guys riding lions and tigers and stuff and then it's like oh um he's when he's doing that it's bad but when like the film is doing it as a whole like then it's okay to laugh at it and i i found that a little bit difficult to reconcile
0: oh fair enough yeah i i didn't sort of read it in that way at all um i think it's i think the way that it talks about africa is actually a lot more clever and i think it's more sort of like i think i think it's more poking fun at ideas of africa in western culture than it is poking fun at african culture without that knowledge of what africa means um, because this is a film that's sort of like this is long after the heyday of the adventure movie and the adventure novel that really sort of like um, had that core racist idea about savage Africa and natural Africa and things like that. Yeah. Um, and in- and instead I feel as though it's kind of like beyond that sort of like doing just sort of like almost cause, cause the Africa that they portray um, is more sort of like of a utopia in comparison to New York. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it kind of has, I think it's much more subversive than it is being deliberately offensive based on ideas of Africa as a continent.
1: No, I don't think it was being deliberately offensive at all. I think perhaps it's just the way that it, the way that it was put together. If you were doing that now, you'd probably be a lot more culturally sensitive. And perhaps I'm being overly culturally sensitive because of the way things are now and, um, looking at it with a, with a 21st century hat, you know. Um, and, you know, ultimately, our, our criticism of this is probably less valid than black people's criticism of it because it's it's a black film. It's made by black people. The cast is pretty much all black and it's a black story. So, you know, don't listen to what I say. If, if black people enjoy it, then that's, that's probably a lot more valid. It's probably better off listening to their criticism than mine.
0: Um, yeah, I think that's probably fair fair to say for for both of us.
1: And I, um, I read a fair amount of criticism from around the time, or did a bit of background research because I I was interested to see how it was received at the time. And it seemed like it went down very very well um, with the black community in the U.S. especially. Um, and part of the reason for that was that there actually hadn't been that many films up until that point with an all black cast made by you know mostly a a, story, a black writer and that. Deck. and I think It just hadn't been done that much, and the testimonials from a lot of the older actors, like the guy who played um, the love interests' dad, Mister, what's the Faco McDonald's? <laughs> Faco McDonald's called? Oh, um, McDowell's. Um, yeah, uh, Am- a- Amos. Yeah, Mister uh, McDowell. The, the um, he yeah he he said that you know on had twenty five years in the biz. He'd never never seen half as many black people on a film set and that kind of thing. So that's very very good and very positive out of it I just feel like yeah it was just it felt very 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 80s and that people would have been more sensitive if it was made now which I think when you watch a film but, uh, but... an old film now having never seen it it's hard to disentangle yourself from thinking how they would do it now I guess
0: but I don't think this movie has that kind of reputation of as having grown outdated over time Um I don't I, I, I've read very little even in terms of modern criticisms of the film that kind of point at it as being a sort of racist archetype at all um, or stereotypical at all it seems to have completely avoided that kind of criticism
1: yeah no it, it definitely um, has so yeah, I so couldn't I'm... find anything that was really tearing it to shreds or anything like that so yeah I think I just found it difficult to to completely I don't know I guess I'm just being too too culturally sensitive yeah
0: yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about it. I don't think anyone who matters whose opinion about this seems to think of it as being negative portrayals. Um, it's, it's hardly Ace Ventura 2 I don't, in its sensitivity but, towards Africa.
1: I don't believe I have seen that. I remember watching the first one quite fondly, but I don't believe I ever saw the sequel.
0: The Ace Ventura movies are a pair of incredibly hilarious movies that happen to have some or four or four stereotypes in both of them. So in the first one there's quite a lot of transphobia. Yes. Um with regards to the villain. Yep. And then the second one Ace Ventura goes to Africa. And it kind of goes exactly as you'd expect from an Ace Ventura movie that goes to Africa.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a shame because I really, really like Jim um, Carrey and I think he's very funny. And if you've ever seen any of his like early stand up, like there's some clips on YouTube. He's absolutely sensational like he could have actually just had an amazing career as a stand up and that would have been it but he wanted to act and
0: he made some of the funniest movies of the 90s in the process so you know it's all right
1: this is true but Ace Ventura 2 is not one of them you're saying
0: well it, it it is very funny it's just marginally problematic yeah um and it and it and it whereas whereas coming to america very much cleverly toys the line of what's tongue-in-cheek and what's not um ace ventura 2 more sort of like goes towards the indiana jones style sort of using previous templates of locations right um but kind of goes for a swing and a miss whereas indiana jones does it in a much more interesting way um yeah
1: cool but yeah there were there were a lot of things that I did like about it like the score by Niall rogers that was that was really great especially when they got to they got to the US and then suddenly it started to become all funky in 80s and stuff I thought it was I appreciated that quite a lot
0: yeah it's got a really clever score this film and it, it works very well um and yeah it's it's like it, and it's a, also an incredibly 80s feeling score too it kind of sets the sets the timeline of this movie incredibly well
1: yeah and going to queens is 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 quite significant as well because nobody went to queens back then it was seen as just kind of a really rough area whereas now it's like it's like the hipster place where people are all moving to because they can't afford to move to brooklyn and it's all gentrified and stuff but queens in 1988 my limited understanding is that that would have been a, a, a you know an authentically rough area so <laughs> he's um He's like, he's all happy and he's singing or whatever and someone shouts, fuck you. And he goes, yes, fuck you too. (laughs) That probably would have actually happened. Yes,
0: yeah. I I don't think it would have been quite as jovial either. There would have been further altercations off the back of that.
1: Yeah. Let's see what else I found as well that the, the comedy throughout was a little bit flat as well. It seemed to rely on like, sort of predictable one-liners and strange gags and set pieces and things. A lot of the scenes just went on a little bit too long, but there were a lot of isolated things that I did laugh at. But yeah, for me, a lot of it, a lot of the comedy was a bit bit wooden, and especially it felt like like the Eddie Murphy show, but I prefer just seeing him do stand-up because it feels a lot purer than him trying to put on lots of different guises um and try and play lots of different characters that don't quite always work or where it, it doesn't really service the plot in any way um yeah a lot of the comedy fell flat for me as well i didn't hate it i'm not here i'm not here to hate on it but yeah i did find that a lot of the comedy didn't quite land with me either what are you were you were you lolling
0: um yeah i feel like it i do agree with you in terms of what what i found doesn't work necessarily about coming to america is the overall um the overall plot now feels very very generic um and like you've seen it time and time and time and time again um and you don't really get any sort of emotional impact or tie to any characters outside of how funny they as an individual are um and that's kind of what propels your want for these characters to succeed is how funny they are. You don't get sort of like there's no kind of sympathy for anybody in the movie, I found. Yeah. Um it's all based around, oh, these people are really funny. I want to see more of them, I want to see them succeed. Um, so much so that like you don't necessarily want James Earl Jones, who plays Eddie Murphy's dad, yeah, um, who is the king. Um you don't necessarily want him to succeed, but you just want to see more of him because he's so great as like the straight man in this film.
1: He was very, very good. Performance as the the kind um, of stern, slightly concerned, but uh, yeah, uptight, uh, uptight dad. is great, and obviously with his voice, it is really, really hard to get Darth Vader out of your head as well.
0: And they and they play upon that as well. Um, so uh, so there's something later on where where. Um, where James L. Jones, King Jaffy, he he turns up uh, to come and find his son in Queens, and uh, and uh, Mister <laughs> Mister McDonald's, <laughs> uh, uh, Mister McDowell, he's like, um, oh yeah, well I'll go tell him you're here, and uh, James L. Jones which, uh, says back to him, it's like, oh no, I will deal with him myself, and it's just like a straight play on. The lines that he used in the in Star Wars movies. Yeah,
1: that's definitely intentional. Um, And sort
0: of so so yeah, so they're building upon his reputation because at this point, James Earl Jones has has this reputation as being like a real hard nut character actor. He's done it time and time again by this point in his career. Um, and uh, and yeah, they sort of knew exactly how to utilize him in this film in an incredible way. Yeah, Um, and he and in general, I think that the cast is in this film wouldn't you agree
1: the cast is what is great oh yeah yeah definitely I mean Eddie Murphy's really good I feel almost a bit I don't know I I wonder about Eddie Murphy because he obviously made a lot of really really cheap nonsense in the 2000s Um, and when I think we were in our teens he was that guy making all of these really really goofy stupid films that we quickly realised were kind of dumb and didn't realize that he had all this really really great stand up behind him so i feel like he's pro- he's done a lot of crap so it's hard to take him seriously but he is actually really really good and his performance in this as the kind of just smiling away quite quiet and lovable affable prince who to be fair you know isn't buying the the misogyny of his culture that wants him to just marry a woman and treat women as objects you know he wants to he wants to find a woman for her intellect so there's there's a slight you know he's slightly ahead there i guess but yeah he was he's very good in that role and arsenio hall was very good as well i feel like i haven't seen him in much other stuff and i feel like i want to i want to try and see more of him because i feel like he's probably quite funny and didn't get to shine in this film with its slightly lumpen script
0: yeah i th- i think he's very funny and i think what he went on to do he um he uh did sort of like a, uh, He's done lots of like hosting of talk shows and things like that, yeah, um, over the years. So he's kind of gone down a very different route to Eddie Murphy, but yeah, he's he's very, very funny in this. That's um, cool. John Amos is great That's Cleo McDowell,
1: yeah. what else um, has he got been Madge in anything?
0: John Amos, um, the thing that I, again, I felt is, um, I recognize him the most from Die Hard 2, where he plays the. At once thought of as being good guy, but actually not good guy general ah. in the film. Uh, but that's what I recognize him from, but he's been in, he's been in loads of stuff over the years. Um And yeah, so he was in the West Wing, for instance, was another thing that he was in. Um
1: Of, of course. Yep, that's yeah. That's where was, I recognize him from.
0: Um And yeah, so he was, he was absolutely great in it. Um And yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's just a really, really, uh, good cast overall. The one thing that I loved was and that I didn't realise when I was a kid obviously um, was that the landlord uh, played by a guy called Frankie Faison he, um, he's the uh, like commissioner in The Wire the police commissioner in The Wire Oh yeah, jeez I didn't make and that when I was connection this back, either I was like, Oh my yeah. god <laughs> um, And yeah, so, so yeah, the, it's a really nice movie in terms of looking at actors and being like oh wow you're in this and you're in this and particularly if you haven't seen it in a few years if you only saw it when you were um, when you were a kid it's quite interesting to watch back and just look at like oh these are all these people that went on to do really cool stuff
1: yeah and um, yeah people people who went on to, to, great, to great things similar to uh, Marie Antoinette last week actually not on, quite on the same scale because that's 2006 so 11 years ago versus 29 years ago it's the same age as us that film but still a lot of people yes, yeah, yeah. went on to do went on to do great things, and that's always nice when you can look back at it.
0: Yeah, and, and, and one of the one of the things that I find very interesting about this film as well is, is Eddie Murphy's performance in it is very un Eddie Murphy like, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um I... so even um even by this point, Eddie Murphy sort of like He's known as sort of like the sassy, fast-talking uh, character. Um, so like in Beverly Hills Cop or in Trading mm-hmm. Places, he's got this real sort of like energy to him and real sort of like heart to his characters. Um, but then in this, he's much more reserved. And so there's quite there's still quite a lot of that kind of... Um, physical humour involved, particularly when it comes to his facial expressions and yeah. things like that. But um, but it's more reserved in general, I think, than you perhaps expect from him.
1: Yeah, I think energy is the right word there, and I think I felt like at times I wanted the energy that he has in Beverly Hills Cop and Trading Places, and it just wasn't there. Even though he was obviously kind of trying to do, sort of downplay it and play it as more of a, a straight man type character who's just looking for Looking to find his bride, you know, and to connect with a woman on an, an intellectual level. It's a character that doesn't is deliberately written not to demand that kind of energy, but it's still, I think, to bring that kind of energy might have helped the comedy of it. But like you said, the facial expressions are really good. It's really good when, um, just after they start working in McDowell's, um, he's mopping and he, she's like the the what's her, what's her name Lisa Lisa McDowell the love interest she's just at the like office computer and he's just going up and down the corridor past her with this huge grin on his face just mopping like over and over and that 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 tickled me just because he had a very funny face at that point
0: yeah that that made me laugh a lot as well um and yeah it's it
1: and he does it it's a
0: it's a more subtle performance than you perhaps expect from him but he does handle it incredibly well yeah um And yeah, he's, he, he is really good in this movie. One thing that I forgot to mention, by the way, when I was listing the other actors was this movie has a great Samuel L. Jackson cameo.
1: Yes, of course. Yeah. Samuel L. Jackson, who was probably big enough to be able to turn down a role as a guy who shoots up a McDonald's at this point, but did it anyway.
0: Yeah. it's it's, Samuel L. Jackson's career is quite a funny one, really, because he, he's, gone through sort of real peaks and troughs and sort of like the real boom era for him was was based off your favorite director uh quentin tarantino Tarantino. (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: um
0: i know that you i know that you love
1: uh i I love love his work can't can't get enough Um, anyone who doesn't like it is an inglorious (laughs) bastard
0: um so, so like by this point um Samuel L. Jackson had been around for about a decade, I'd say, but he'd really been in very, very minor roles. Um, and so it kind of it's kind of par for the course for him being the, being the sort of like uh, the, the, the robber in this scene. Um, um, but then, yeah, pretty, pretty soon after this, he sort of, he had roles in like Goodfellas um, and so, so like a minor role in that. And um, and like minor roles in films like Patriot Games and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, before you had sort of like big breakout roles in films like Menace to Society, that minor role in Jurassic Park, roles in True Romance,
1: Attack of the Clones. Um.
0: So this is Attack of the Clones. So this is like just before he became a huge deal in popular culture. Yeah. Um. But it's like it is like a peak Samuel L. Jackson performance. It is just for the yeah. Brief minutes that he's that he's on the screen. He's great. He's great. He
1: says, "Motherfucker," doesn't he? I believe he does. Yes. Yeah. As as he should. Yeah. I mean, his peak is still obviously "Snakes on a Plane." <laughs> That's true. Me and Adam uh, went to see that in the cinema. Snakes on a plane. Did you, Guilford Odeon wow! Did I see
0: it? I think I saw it in the cinema as well. And there's nobody else there.
1: Yeah, there was about us, and then there was about, I think, there was us, and then I think there were two other blokes, like, sitting in the very front, and we were sat at the back, and then when he did the line about the the motherfucking snakes and the motherfucking plane, we all cheered really loudly.
0: <laughs> snakes on a plane is the number one reason why internet nerds should never be trusted with anything. Yeah. Because running up to the release of, the, of Snakes on a Plane, uh, internet nerds kind of took over almost the production of the movie. And sort of like being like, yeah, you need to call it Snakes on a Plane. You need to be like really silly, and you need Samuel L. Jackson to say, "I've had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane." And so they sort of, and so the producers and the directors were like, yeah, all right. It seems like there's quite a big pull for this kind of silly, over the top, actiony crime movie that also includes snakes on a plane. So let's kind of roll with it and let's do something silly with it. And then none of the people who were calling for this movie to exist went to go see it at the cinema. Yeah, they just didn't go and see it. Um, so it's like no don't listen to these people Just do, make the movie you want to make
1: It's the pre-social media version internet. Of Boaty McBoatface Isn't it
0: <laughs> Yeah Snakes on a Plane is Boaty McBoatface yeah. Snakey McSnakeface
1: Or it's it's like Brexit isn't it Something where You should never listen to the general public On anything because they haven't got a Fucking clue
0: but what I would recommend is if we put um, Boris Johnson and Michael Gove on a plane full of snakes. Though. I think that would solve both issues. Well, and then filmed
1: it. The Tories are snakes. So, you know, you just have to get the whole cabinet <laughs> onto a plane and then there you are. Job done.
0: I'm, I'm afraid there is a difference between the reptilian overlords and snakes, Paddy. I'm sorry to break it to you. Oh, really? But, okay.
1: Um, I obviously need to be educated. You have
0: to. They are vaguely humanoid in, in in size and
1: stature. Right, I get. Well, what do I know? I'm just a globe cuck. <laughs> <laughs> good times, but yeah, this was a very very good Samuel L. Jackson performance, and I did enjoy the kind of stick fight. How it called back to the days when they were um they were like fighting with the staffs in staves staffs, staves in in Africa, and then. They come they come and that turns out to be useful in the restaurant that was predictable but still enjoyable when they took the rubber down.
0: Yeah, they they um there was quite a lot of good sort of like callbacks to previous um previous scenes and previous themes in the movie. And I think that sort of like it it's because it comes from a very established director who knew very well how to put together a good comedy movie. So this was directed by John Landis. Yeah. Um who is one of the all-time greats particularly of 80s comedy
1: and he worked with eddie um, murphy quite a so lot like
0: he did yeah so he worked with him on trading places as well um and um you know he directed michael Jackson thriller as well mm-hmm. um he's he's a, he's a great director but he 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 directed like a huge number of the most funny films in the 1980s so like he did he did the blues brothers Mm he did an american werewolf in london he did trading places he did spies like us three amigos um coming to america it's just like wow this guy's got a really huge back catalog of of amazing films here um and i'm not too sure whether i think that coming to america is one of his best
1: no i I mean when i watched it
0: as a kid i'd
1: He's, he's, he's when, when, when you're list, listing all those films it's like a... that's so many great films it's amazing that he managed to fit all those into one decade
0: yeah and, and, and I think like when I was a kid I remember liking this maybe not as much as Three Amigos for instance or Trading Places but I remember still liking it a lot but I, that sort of like initial reaction when I was a kid kind of rings true now in that like i could re-watch three amigos at any given moment and still laugh my ass off at it I um have and the not same with blues since... brothers i don't know I'd... it's 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 still incredibly funny it's brilliant um and and i could watch an american werewolf in london at any time the blues brothers is still i think one of the most funny comedy movies ever made yeah um if only for the for the car chase of all of the police cars that then just go flying off the road for no apparent reason, it just makes me laugh every single time,
1: yeah, I always love the scene um, where they're they're playing that gig they show up, and it's obviously the wrong gig. It's like, yeah, are you the good old boys? Yeah, we're the good old boys, and they have like the screen the like metal screen in front of them because they know that all the like drunk rednecks are just gonna like bottle them. I often think that if we could play when we do shows with behind that kind of screen it might be might give us some kind of edge or make us look cool or whatever but yeah that's that always makes me it makes me chuckle that scene
0: Yeah it's it's really funny isn't it it's really good um and then when the actual good old boys turn up and they form yet another enemy for life Yeah um it's really yeah it's really something that film Um, yeah if you haven't seen blues brothers man a what's wrong with you b go watch blues brothers immediately pause this podcast because you want to come listen to the rest of it but first go and watch blues
1: brothers yes do an absolute classic is there a terrible remake of that did i imagine that um i don't know about that they did do a terrible sequel
0: which was directed by john landis oh really um yeah he did direct that um Blues Brothers Two Thousand, was it? Yeah, Blues Brothers Two Thousand.
1: Right. By which time John Belushi was dead, right? He was, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so it was, you know, one of the reasons why you should never make the movie in the first place. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it did not. It did not go well.
1: Yeah, no, that is a that is a great great film, and stars Dan Aykroyd who was great in trading places as well he was
0: and believes in conspiracy theories
1: oh really so you know yeah he's a big alien believer but not a not a flat earther i
0: don't think he's a flat earther but he is like proper into aliens cool um he's yeah really 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 into aliens in a way that's kind of unnerving
1: I think aliens yeah, are one I mean, of the more benign a, conspiracy theories aren't they? Aren't they?
0: Yeah, I mean you've got to you've got to love him. Um yeah, he is a lifetime member and official Hollywood consultant for the Mutual UFO
1: Network. Oh, okay. I think um, if you put the word mutual in front of something it makes it sound um it makes it sound official even though no one really knows what it means in a context outside of referring to mutual friends yes yeah (laughs) um and
0: he considers himself like a spiritualist as well um so he's got quite a lot of he I, i i would i believe that dan Aykroyd in another universe is living in a trailer in the middle of arizona with like surrounded by cb radios yeah trying to hook into radio
1: waves he's picking up all the all the signals Yes, exactly. So can we talk about the fact that the band in Coming to America is called Sexual Chocolate?
0: (laughs) Yes, we can. (laughs)
1: It's a shame that they didn't do like a tie-in single to go with it, did they? They did do, there was some music that wasn't there, but it wasn't Sexual Chocolate.
0: Yeah, they they had one song, didn't they? I I was hoping that there'd be some kind of um, Todd Rivers' one-track lover uh, from Garth Renge's Dark Place Tied In, where Sexual Chocolate um, have just one incredible single. I'd I'd buy on vinyl, you know. If if it was available, I'd totally buy that.
1: Yeah, you'd own that. Hang it up. Put it in a frame, you know.
0: But how do you think Sexual Chocolate compare to... uh, dragon sound from the miami
1: connection oh there's no contest between them and dragon sound because they've got they've got two songs so yeah, they do they're, they they're have against the
0: ninja and friends for eternity i think the other one's called isn't it
1: <laughs> yeah something like that um yeah have, if can if we get away with talking about doesn't... the miami connection it's is there romance in there or is it just was literally punching?
0: five seconds of romance it is purely a crutch for one of the fights between the different groups. Um, for those who don't know what the Miami Connection is, it's this amazing uh piece of film history. Um it is wonderful. where it's, it's this movie that was written by, directed by and starring this martial arts like Supremo, um which was released back in nineteen eighty-seven. Um, it appeared in cinemas at the time very locally to to where they were based um, for about a week or so and then faded into obscurity immediately and was forgotten about. And then uh, this cinema bought a film reel in a blind auction not knowing what it was. And it happened to be this movie that had been forgotten about for over pretty much over 20 years. And um, it's amazing. It's like this perfect piece of 80s b-movie charm um and it's become this huge cult classic overnight in the same vein as the room yeah um and it has the best worst plot i think i've ever seen in a film um so it's this 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 rock band who are also taekwondo masters who are also all grad students at a university
1: and all live together in Um, like the bro house where they all have like hugging bromance like bro time, and they'll talk about their feelings.
0: Yeah, they they all have a nice shirtless bromance sessions constantly, um, and then they end up getting embroiled in this this drug gang war between like a motorcycle gang and a bunch of ninjas. Um, and it's it's it has to be seen because just describing it doesn't do it justice in the slightest it's incredible and yeah the, the 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 gang of heroes they're in this band called Dragon Sound which have two songs that are played during the movie and have since been on to release be released and they play and them like, live the in the film become, don't they smash. they play well yeah they play them live with quotation marks around it but they were both written by one of the members of the gang as well so like this this guy legit in real life wrote these songs and they're bloody beautiful they're wonderful um and yeah, so so seriously, go and watch the Miami Connection. I'd love for us to be able to talk about Miami Connection um, on this podcast. I think maybe we could do a couple of bad movie ones where we talk about The Room and Miami Connection. Yeah, this is going to be our kind of after something.
1: dark bonus episodes thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll get some bonus episodes on the go. We can talk about bad movies. Yeah,
1: left. but the, yeah, the, but the The Room... You really, really cringe at the room, don't you, because it's so excruciatingly awful. Um whereas Miami Connection is quite jovial. It's like everything is so cheap and cliched that it comes out the other side, but because it's there's so much kind of goofy fighting and stuff, you don't it doesn't feel so serious. Like with these guys wanted to make like a, a hot action film and it's got a real kind of energy about it. Whereas the room is really downbeat and drab and it's so like the story behind the room is so amazing because it's so much about this one guy's incredibly flawed, weird vision. Um, and that comes across really well, but in a way where it's like, it's like when you, it's so much about one person and it's like when someone's telling you about their dream that they had last night, you know, it's, it's so much about the person. Whereas Miami connection feels like more of a, an engaging team effort. So it's slightly easier to watch and is more funny. Yeah. This is the kind of thing we'll talk about on the after dark yeah, thing, think- but. Miami Connection is really, really yeah, great. It's I... really worth seeing. I think if you couldn't stomach The Room, you'll be able to stomach Miami Connection. It's great.
0: What I love about The Room is that it almost feels like the kind of movie that would be shown in the background on Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it's got that kind of thing going on where you're just like, oh yeah, I could see this being in some kind of weird-ass twisted soap opera It's
1: Sipping a cup of coffee. You're tearing me apart, Lisa. Just you went a bit on the, TV hard, in the background, today. yeah. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau's accent is is impossible to do, it is. Yeah, it's yeah,
0: it's it's great. It's
1: great. I mean, I, I,
0: the room is incredibly cringy, but I think it kind of like I've watched it so many times now that it's surpassed the cringe factor and is now just back into pure enjoyment.
1: Yeah, and once you can, you can more or less say every line back to yourself, then it's yeah. A film occupies a special place in your head and your heart when it gets to that point, no matter how terrible a film it is.
0: Yes, yeah, and it's it's truly something else. But yeah, Miami Connection kind of like has that same thing going on where it's so bad it's good, but it seems to come from a much more good-natured place than The Room.
1: Yeah, I genuinely Um, catch myself singing against the Ninja occasionally, or I wake up with it in my head.
0: Against the Ninja, it's, it's friends that does it to me. Friends. friends for eternity, loyalty, honesty, stay <laughs> together through thick and thin.
1: See the the friends one always reminds me of. Have have you seen any of It's always sunny in Philadelphia?
0: I've watched like the old episode here and there, <sighs> but I haven't quite got into
1: it. It's so so good, honestly. It's I'm on something like I'm on season ten, and there's like fourteen seasons or something. Um, there's so much of it but each episode is really short so it's easy to watch quite a few in sequence and it takes a couple of seasons to get going because Danny DeVito is not there in the first one but oh my god once you know the characters and all their different things it becomes it's it's sensational Um, and there's there's one episode where they're kind of trying to make bands to enter some battle of the bands thing and they come up with this song that's like the day man and the night man and there's a line about you're a master of karate and friendship for everyone. And the friendship song from Miami connection always reminds me of that in a similar kind of like bad comedy way, but yeah, it's always <laughs> sunny is great. I'll I'll send you that one clip because it is quite funny. And it's also later then used as a musical where one of the characters, Charlie writes a whole musical um, as a, as like a ruse to propose to this waitress that he fancies. And then they are, they're all in it and they all sing the song at the end. Oh, it's it's hard to yeah it's hard to talk about it it's so good
0: oh cool um yeah i think maybe should we try and get back to coming to america yeah
1: definitely definitely
0: um what, what what else what else do you have to say about this movie
1: um, so I th- I wrote down that I thought the concept was really, really good and it's a very, very fertile idea for comedy but just that it seemed a bit rushed and cheaply executed and that um, I started to like it more when the romantic plot emerged because you felt like a genuine connection between them and that was really nice but the, um... I'm going to sneeze <coughs> the romantic plot was sidelined in favour of kind of cheap gags and that... Never quite built up to the point where it felt really meaningful, and then I felt like he chickened out a bit at the end because she the, he kind of follows her and chases her down, and they're on the subway and they have that kind of conversation, and then she goes, and then it cuts to a scene in Africa of the wedding, and you think that he's marrying the arranged marriage bride, but it's um but it's her, and then suddenly she's there, and there's no explanation as to why she changed her mind or anything. It's just suddenly she's there. You know, like, oh fine, because that is kind of quite funny in itself as like a filmic trolling of your expectations of the plot but yeah i still thought that was a, that was a bit cheap
0: yeah it's it's so it's one of those things though um where like um a lot of people criticize the third Bat- christopher nolan batman movie where where they're like oh, Batman, he managed to get from the other side of the world to Gotham in the space of 48 hours. How did he manage to do that? It's like, the answer is, he's bloody Batman. He can <laughs> do whatever he likes. And and like in, in coming to America at the end, I thought, oh, wow, they managed to sort that out somehow without him finding out. And then I realized, wait, no, James L. Jones is the king of an incredibly rich country. He could have just called her up and said, yo, I'm going to pay for your tickets out here if you do want to come. And she could have said, okay.
1: Yeah, but she and didn't then, want yeah, him uh, for his that, money. That
0: could have been no, she didn't. But then at the end, she realised she did want to be princess of an entire country because you know who doesn't?
1: Yeah, exactly. You you would want to. <laughs> and
0: I think I think that's a really I think that is a really funny line actually. Where um, where at the end he's like, "Oh, are you sure you don't want me to? You don't want us to give all this up and go back to Queens?" And he's just like, "No, I think I'll be all right."
1: <laughs> yeah. The one thing that I really liked is that it's it's the mum. Who sort of is the the one giving the good advice, whereas it's sort of battle of the dads in the end, where eventually suddenly um, Mr. McDowell turns on turns on him on James Earl Jones after he starts dissing his daughter, um, and they're kind of arguing about it. But it's the mum who cuts through and talks sense, and I liked that part of it because it was sort of moving towards dispensing with tradition, and that as a message is positive because it's obviously yeah dispensing with the tradition that you have to have kind of. Arranged marriages or whatever that you can't marry for love and that kind of thing. So, so that was that was good in the end. Like that the um, the mum eventually got some got some screen time and some lines and they were good and meaningful.
0: Yeah, I, I, they I think they utilized the sort of parent side of things very well in this film, um, and yeah, it's nice to see her being sort of like the voice of reason and eventually proving to be right at the end of it all. In that even though her arranged marriage ended up working out quite well in the end from the sounds
1: of it it seems like yeah. they do love each other very well who wouldn't um, want to marry a man who, for everybody when man. he travels to america is literally wearing a lion <laughs>
0: exactly who who wouldn't want to marry darth vader and thulsa doom from conan the barbarian you know um but the other thing that i wanted to point out was just a few of the other very very funny lines from coming to america because it is full of really good much like other 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 films from the era um it's full of really great just one-liners here and there so i think the first thing that really made me laugh out loud this time round <laughs> was when uh, prince hakeem's getting getting a bar at the beginning and then the person who's bathing him because he has people who bathe him and everything like that she sort of shouts out
1: the royal penis is clean your highness yeah um that is sampled on a rap record that we used to listen to at school and then no one knew where it came from and now I finally managed to make that connection however many 15 years later but it was a line that we always used to like say around school because it had been on this rap song I can't even remember who it is I think it's Snoop Dogg but um, yeah, it's like the opening <laughs> right, track of okay. the album and that line just is dropped in there. Yeah, that, that, made, that made me chuckle as well. That's a very, very good... Uh, the opening is is really, really good from a comic point of view. Um, it, yeah, yeah, not, the not first, being allowed the first to 10, 15 minutes. shit with the door closed and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, the first 10, 15 minutes is incredibly funny and it re- it really sets up his world incredibly well and it makes you realise why he wants that desperation to go out and... And see other places. Um, it's like the male version of Jasmine from Disney's Aladdin.
1: Yeah, it's basically. like because the the one piece of criticism that I did read that was that was you know critical of it was saying that oh it's it's kind of it seems a bit um, a bit derogatory and colonial to imply that he can't find an intelligent woman in Africa, but of course the setup is that he's not allowed to find women for himself. But his thought is that I'll go to America rather than saying to my dad, "I'll go and look across the rest of our beautiful country to try and find an intelligent woman." So yeah, it's kind of to do with the setup there, I guess. But potentially, yeah, exactly. Problem, I it. think
0: I think there's quite a lot of, yeah, I think there's quite a lot of nitpicking that isn't necessarily, even. Um, subconscious colonialism and things like that because the whole point of it is that he's not allowed to do these things it's never implied that he's it's not possible for him to find someone like that as shown by the marriage between his mum and dad where she is a she is a very strong woman who has a lot of her own opinions and who is able to talk back to her husband who's the king of the country yeah um it's just that the the entire sort of like focus on his marriage is that everyone expects that he should have someone who is entirely compliant to what he wants, which isn't the way that romance works.
1: Yeah. So it's good that it's sending up that, even though for the most part in the film, women have little to no agency. And especially with Lisa, you really, really wonder why she's dating the the hair model guy when she seems very nice and intelligent and he's clearly a massive dick. And there are bits when he does like dickhead things, like he throws the shake at Akeem, and it goes all over him, and she has clearly seen it, but chosen to ignore it, and you're like, that's that's a really horrible thing to do. Why are you going out with this asshole?"
0: And again, it comes down to the theme of the film, in that it's about people whose family pressures won't allow them to step outside of what is expected of them. So he's very rich, he's very popular, he's from the neighbourhood, and so together they would be their own kind of royal couple for queens. Um... And so the expectation is that she has to be with him because that's what's expected. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't have the option that Prince Akeem had to go off to the other side of the world with thousands and thousands of dollars because that's just not possible for her. Yeah. Because of her upbringing.
1: And Akeem doesn't try and romance her by being a prince either. Um, by But he doesn't try to buy her which is, it is the main thing. And at times you think, oh, well, why don't you just like give her her money, tell her you're a prince and you've got all this stuff and then try and get that across because that's you and that's authentic as well. But you realise that he's trying to perform a different kind of authenticity.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and like, obviously that then ends up being problematic in general for their relationship because he's been lying to her about his history and everything like that um, but in a way it's it's much nicer this way around than it is the other way if he was pretending to be something he's not yeah, um, to try and seem that he's a greater person uh, has a greater upbringing than he had before
1: yeah so the one bit that did make me laugh out loud was when um, he's left um, what's Arsenio Hall's character called? um it's something semi he's left semi back at the um back at the apartment semi's decided he's not going to go to work anymore because he doesn't need to this is all bullshit and then hakeem comes back and opens the door and semi's like kitted out the flat with all this lavish stuff and he's just sitting there watching tv in a hot tub and that (laughs) yeah that that hit me i didn't expect that at all and it's like can you even have a hot tub inside an apartment
0: I don't know how they managed to to plummet without anybody noticing, and in such a short amount of time. Yeah, I admire the effort that went into it.
1: Yeah, but that that made me laugh quite a lot. And then when um he takes her out on the date, and he's got all the money in like a McDonald's bag, and he gives it to a homeless guy, um and the two homeless guys are called Randolph and Mortimer. And it's like, why did you have to name yeah, it? That yeah. adds absolutely nothing to the plot whatsoever. But it is really funny. Yeah. Randolph. That is a Randolph's trading places. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen um, that in so such at the a end of trading time.
0: places, the two, the two millionaires who put that bet on in the first instance lose all their money. And that's the two millionaires. So then right, of course. Yeah. It's giving them all this money that they can then use to. And then that's why they say, like, let's have lunch and stuff like that to you
1: yeah of course yeah it's been it's been such a long time since i talked about trading places i watched trading places we should um yeah Yeah, it's been a while it's been a while since i saw it as well actually yeah but that was that was good randolph and mortimer
0: (laughs) and yeah one of one of the other things that i thought was great was was the landlord played by the guy from the wire um so when when he brings them into the into the apartment block and then uh, the guy just falls down the stairs and is unconscious. And <laughs> he's like, "Hey, your rent's due. Don't you be pulling that falling down the stairs crap on <sighs> me." He always tries the same thing every month.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's all very good, very good, very good swearing. Well timed fucks.
0: Yes, yeah, it's there's there's some good good fucks in this film.
1: Yeah, I have to say. A, a very commendable baseball thing. The um the taxi driver when they get there, um he's wearing a, a Mets hat, which is appropriate to the fact that he's going to take them to Queens because the Mets play in Queens, but are a much less popular team than the Yankees. So if it was a stereotypical portrayal of, of of New York, could have just gone straight in with the Yankees and it probably would have been fine. But they chose the Mets. <laughs> Root for the underdog.
0: No one likes the Yankees,
1: apart from like all of Claire's family. <laughs> <laughs> they're the manchester <laughs> united of baseball yes
0: exactly like or like the new england patriots yeah they're the, they're the one that are very popular but then nobody except those who likes them likes them
1: yeah that's pretty much exactly it although they have the yankees have a, a thing with um, a partnership with man, man city or at least they used to
0: oh yeah yeah i
1: don't know if they do anymore
0: um but they should really team up with Manchester United and just have all of them together. Paris Saint-Germain, the same. Mm-hmm. Just they're the generally loathed clubs for those who aren't actual fans of them.
1: Yeah. So yeah, it was good that he was wearing a Mets hat. Um, there was only one other thing, other bad thing that I want to talk about, which is the scene when they, they, fir- they first go to the bar and there's sort of this parade of strange women um, and that was quite an unfortunate scene where it seemed to be just like transphobic and mocking the mentally ill and that kind of thing, which obviously is was a bit yeah. un, unpalatable. Um, yeah, I mean, but it didn't it didn't Ed- spoil Murphy's... it overall, but there's a lot of stuff in there where you just think ah, could have done without that.
0: Eddie Murphy's not got the greatest record when it comes to, to homophobia and transphobia. <laughs> it's, uh...
1: No, he does not.
0: Uh, yeah. Um it's it's one of the things that I I prefer him being an actor to him being a stand up, because every so often in the stand up you get the old awkward jokes that have not aged incredibly well. Yeah. Whereas at least in the movies, it's for a very brief moment and then you're onto something else.
1: It, it's it's um, a shame because a lot of his stand up is really good and there's so much great comic timing in there. And, you know, he's a very, very important and influential stand up comic. But yeah, a lot of the content is very unsavoury and problematic and yeah.
0: Um, and of course, there was the whole. It, it's funny because there's a lot of transphobia and homophobia in the early Eddie Murphy stuff. Um, but then he had this—he um, had this very big scandal. I don't know if you remember of trans transgender prostitutes and things like that.
1: Yeah, I do.
0: Um, and yeah, it's it's it's. He's had a very strange life, Eddie Murphy. I think from sort of like very sort of risque humor embroiled in all these very big scandals as well um but then sort of like his his lasting legacy for a lot of people is the voice of donkey and shrek yeah. <laughs> and 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 like stuff like norbit and oh, the God. nutty professor and stuff like that it's yeah it's had a really weird career
1: i never saw norbit um in general i think i did see the no nutty i never professor, saw norbit either which i remember I laughing at when i was Oginc- maybe 12.
0: I saw The Adventures of Pluto Nash, or at least I saw 10 minutes of it and then turned it off. I don't know if you remember that. What the, the- hell
1: is The Adventures of Pluto Nash? I've never even heard it of that. Is,
0: it is a sci-fi comedy with him in, and it's one of the biggest box office bombs of all time.
1: Ooh, okay. Um,
0: An absolute critical fiasco that lost loads of money. Um, And sort of like, it should have been... Great, it had a really good, like, it had a really strong cast, you know, with Eddie Murphy. It was directed by the guy who did City Slickers and he did Tremors. Oh, yeah, a director called Ron Underwood. And um, you thought, like, oh, yeah, that seems like it could be a good, good match, but no, 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 <laughs> it's uh, it is, it, it did not go well at all. Oh, wow, okay. Um, yeah, so like, it, it did a lot to damage a lot of people's careers. And Eddie Murphy seems to be the only one who's really come out entirely unscathed.
1: Wow. Well well done him. Yes. <laughs>
0: not so well done Rosario Dawson or Randy Quaid, who uh did not uh did not did not manage to escape from the clutches of Pluto Nash quite as successfully.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I think that context of Eddie Murphy was was very much in the back of my mind as well. I think I went into it wanting to like it, but also very much expecting it to be as problematic as the man himself. And then I found that in it for sure. Whereas maybe you were more optimistic and had that childhood nostalgia.
0: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't necessarily, I've never been sort of like super in love with Eddie Murphy as an actor, more so very much enjoyed the movies that he's been in. Um, And so, yeah, I didn't, but I didn't necessarily find it as awkward. And I didn't feel that it crossed the lines that now wouldn't be acceptable. Um, Because like I said, I do think it kind of, it subverted expectations in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And I think a lot of the time it was just playing up to pastiches rather than um, just solidifying them with another story that tries to tell the same thing. I think it was being deliberately... Like subversive, as it were.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And when you look at how it was subverting other things, e.g. corporate greed and American culture in the form of McDonald's, it did that really well. And it's really interesting that apparently during the the filming of it, they got permission to have McDonald's and the golden arcs and whatever from McDonald's in advance, so it was all sorted out. But it didn't quite get down the chain of command in McDonald's that this had happened. So someone saw the film set um, from mcdonald's and came down and started taking pictures and then they used that as a parodic element in the um in the film but then they also oh, right, um, i didn't know that yeah that's quite an interesting bit of um background trivia there's also a really good moment as well when it ca- you catch uh, mr mcdowell in the office and he's reading the mcdonald's like handbook that that tickled me quite a oh, lot oh yeah as well. yeah
0: yeah that was very that was very funny um i'd say that that uh that he's the standout star of the movie. Yeah. If I had to choose one person who I enjoyed more than anybody else, um, I think it would be John Amos.
1: He's very good, and it's really good how he turns as soon as um he thinks that Akim has money, or he immediately like just becomes a completely different person. Uh, that that yeah that sends up the the greed of people and their expectations quite well. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's great. He he's great. Um, in general. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd quite happily watched more of him in this film.
1: And we of course have Eddie Murphy doing his thing of playing like 15 different characters all in the same film, which gave me an idea for sensations. Which oh, yeah. Is that if, if any of our actors drop out or if, you know, if we have trouble getting people or it goes into development hell or whatever, all we really need is Guy Fieri. And we can just get Guy Fieri to play all of the characters.
0: It's true. I've often thought about how much I'd enjoy watching an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger played every single character in the film. Yes, definitely. Um and uh and yeah, I think this could work quite well is Sensations could have various Guy Fieri's um scattered throughout. You could uh, be a bit like like John Malkovich
1: being Guy Fieri. Um, <laughs> being
0: Guy Fieri. <laughs>
1: I bet someone's done that. I'm just going to quickly type that into Google to check whether um, someone has made that image you know, of, of the John Malkovich face with Guy Fieri.
0: If not, I think it it really needs to happen.
1: Yeah. Almost as much as you're um, rescoring the bridges of Madison County with Trent Reznor music. No, no one... Well, I've typed in being Guy Fieri and no one appears to have made that image, so... I think yeah oh, we've wow. got we've got our work cut out for the next week but there is a picture of Drake with Guy Fieri's hair <laughs> I'm trying to hold it up there we go I'm, do- I'm doing a quick google search uh he knows when that hotline that's... bling
0: <laughs> he know when that hot dog bling <laughs>
1: That was such that was such an obvious pun on that, and I didn't think of it at all. It's been a long week. I haven't been sleeping that well. Have you?
0: Uh. Wait, hold on. Drake did some kind of shout out to Guy Fieri. What? And yeah, (laughs) so um, in, you know, you know, his mixtape, if you're reading this, it's too late. Yeah. Um, He makes a reference to Fieri. He says, (laughs) Fieri, I'm in the kitchen. I'm a magician. No way. And apparently they did like a a charity fundraiser. Where they cooked together. So there is a picture of Guy Fieri and Drake cooking together.
1: No way. Wearing chef's clothes. Yeah. That is awesome. Put that in the show uh, notes for sure. This
0: is this is, this is, totally blown my mind. This is incredible. So this does mean that we have a road in for Drake. Oh my God. To, to be in Sensations as well.
1: That would be amazing. I love Drake. He's great. Oh boy.
0: He is incredible.
1: Yeah. Um, he could he could make a, a dish with passion fruit in it <laughs> um
0: yeah god yeah we can this, this is all coming together do you reckon that he'd be able to do a like a, a mash up with smashed biscuits as well
1: oh hell yeah that would be amazing definitely it would be a very weird crossover but i reckon he could pull it off
0: it would, but you. Yeah. It would be be a modern version of "Walk This Way."
1: Yeah. I can't think of any kind of pun to deal with food and "Walk This Way," apart from "Way" as in curds and way.
0: <laughs> walk, this <wafer-thin> <laughs> walk this wafer thin
1: mint. Walk this wafer.
0: Walk this way for. I'm sure we're missing a very obvious one, but hey, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm out. Well, um, so, our... do you have anything else you'd like to say about about trading places? Uh, about coming to America?
1: See, there is. You wanted it to be trading places, but it wasn't. Um, I
0: did want it to be trading places.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of the point. Uh, no, I th- I think that's pretty much it. I think I've I've said everything. Was, yeah, there was a, l- a lot of stuff to like, but the comedy was there were apart from some isolated bits the comedy was a little bit flat and didn't quite land um and yeah overall i was i was i feel still feel kind of lukewarm towards it but i appreciate it more having spoken to you about it i think
0: oh cool i'm glad i've managed to bully you a little bit, liking it a bit
1: <laughs> no it's all about perspective isn't it about you know whether you know your your perspective is always one made in isolation when you talk to other people it's good to it's good to be able to assess that yeah yeah i think so too have you um, thought of a rating scale yeah
0: i didn't oh i don't know i was thinking um how many how many big mike's burgers out of 20 <laughs> yeah special sauce or may- or maybe how many how many rose petals on the floor
1: oh yeah yeah that's 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 loads i was just going to go with how many bars of sexual chocolate
0: oh okay yeah there we go that's the that's the winner that's money
1: that's money <laughs> now i hear a lot of rating scales but that is the best rating scale that i've ever heard
0: disclaimer at the bottom as you say that that says uh, Paddy Johnston has is a shareholder in this particular rating scale.
1: <laughs> yeah, we are legally obliged to point out that I have shares in Sexual Chocolate Limited. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to give it a 10. 10 out of 20.
0: 10 out of 20? Half, it's oh, hal- it was halfway wow. there. This I- is your this is your JV?
1: Yeah. It's... <laughs> Yeah, it's my Bon, my boy Bon. It's your bon. <laughs> no, John Bonathan Jovi. <laughs> um, that's his real name. I, 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 I'm gonna go with,
0: I'm gonna go with, um, uh, I think 15 bars of sexual chocolate. Cool. out of 20. I still like this movie a lot. Um, I don't think it's it. Uh, i didn't enjoy it as much as i did when i was younger um and i don't think it has as strong a place in my heart as the likes of blues brothers or three amigos but i think it's still a real standout of the of the decade
1: yeah and it's nice that it came out the year that we were born
0: yeah yeah
1: cool so i just have one bit of follow-up on the uh the She's All That episode, so a few episodes ago, on the the American Simon problem, which is that, as we established, or it's, it's Adam's friend of the podcast, Adam Molesky's theory, that there are no Americans called Simon. Um, our good friend, Tracy Dunham, has emailed in with um, an American Simon for us. So, this guy, I'd never heard of him, but his name is Simon Rex. I'm on his Wikipedia page right now. Um, I'm just going to read you the first line. It says... Oh, The first paragraph says Simon Rex Cutright, known as Dirt Nasty, born July 20th, 1974. is an American actor, comedian, rapper, record producer, model and former VJ. Rising to fame as an MTV VJ, Rex turned rapper and comedian under an alter ego, Dirt Nasty, and received a cult following on social media websites. As an actor, he starred as Jeff Campbell in the first season of What I Like About You, as George Logan in Scary Movie 3 and 4, as Dan Sanders in Five and as Derek in National Lampoon's Pledge This. Now, I have never heard of this man, but I imagine you might be someone who might have seen Scary Movie 3 or 4 out of morbid interest.
0: I have seen Scary Movie 3 out of morbid interest, and I know exactly who this guy is because I'm looking at him now. I had no idea of his name, but he's in this this terrible other parody of slasher movies called shriek if you know what i did last friday the 13th (laughs) which is yeah it's it's possibly worse than scary movie but it's a film that i kind of enjoy almost as much in a kind of bad movie comfort watch way um and yeah so i know exactly who this guy is oh my god yeah yeah and he's called simon
1: a legit Um, american simon
0: he is um in this i think this will get a kick you'll get a kick out of this his character name in shriek if you know what i did last friday the 13th is Slabo beef
1: <laughs> how do you spell Slabo?
0: um so it's slab and then O beef like an irish name good good strong irish name that's what i like to hear yeah um <laughs> it's uh yeah wow uh, thank you very much for informing us about this this other Simon yeah. it's, it's not only been an interesting piece of trivia but it's brought back in huge swathes of nostalgia for me so thank you very much
1: yeah thank you Tracy you've successfully disproven a theory that's good that's what we like to call effective peer review <laughs> but I'm afraid I don't think I have the stomach for a lot of this guy's work I think I have uh, I do not want to waste my time on on this
0: <laughs> he he is i think maybe we should watch shriek if you know what i did last friday the 13th at some point because it does actually include loads of actors who are in other stuff that's vastly superior to it um so yeah it's quite an interesting movie um i'm just looking at, at further stuff from from simon rex and in 2016 he was in a movie called Halloween. Halloween. And I think it's about a horror movie about marijuana.
1: Hmm. You don't say. Oh, yeah. That's one of the ones where you can actually <laughs> click through to find out more about the film. Unlike the majority of his filmography. Wait, wait, wait. 2004. The Karate Dog. Oh, my God. <laughs> you want mate? Oh, my fucking God. The Karate Dog is a 2004 television film directed by Bob Clark. It stars Chevy Chase as the voice of Cho Cho. Simon Rex, Trump supporter John Voigt, and Jamie Presley. <laughs> no way.
0: Trump, yeah. Trump supporter John Voight.
1: <laughs> Plot. It's got the note, this section needs expansion. <laughs> a talking dog named cho <laughs> teams up with a police detective named Peter Fowler to solve the murder of his owner, Chin Lee. Oh, and he's um, he's an I Asian think... karate dog. Okay, that sounds like it might be offensive.
0: It, it might be need expansion but that certainly sounds like that's about as much effort as went into writing the script to the film
1: <laughs> yeah Chevy chase though
0: yeah and john voight i yeah. mean john voight is is has gone
1: off the deep end a little bit but,
0: yeah um he's a
1: bit of a clint he's eastwood still, he's still yelling a... at a chair type now isn't he john voight
0: yeah i think i think he's more nasty than clint eastwood though um uh, it's it's a shame for John Voigt is that he's been in all of these incredible movies over the years, um such as uh, like Midnight Cowboy, for instance, is a phenomenal film hmm. um and deliverance and stuff like that. but my my lasting memory of John Voigt is always going to be um anaconda, the the creature feature horror movie starring Jennifer Lopez and Ice Cube, yeah, where a giant anaconda starts eating people. Um, and that's what I'm always going to remember John Boyd for. Um, and he, he plays the very, very creepy, um, like evil villain who wants to capture the anaconda and and doesn't care who gets in his way. And he puts on this kind of absurd accent that could be from anywhere in the world. It's almost like a more South American version of Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredible. His performance in that film is great. That's um, fantastic. A few years, a few years ago, I put together a, a montage of all of the creepiest moments of John Boy in that movie, um, which is up on YouTube somewhere. Oh, cool! Um, and yeah, it's, it's he's uh, he's magnificent in that film.
1: Good work. Um,
0: if I can find it, we'll put that in the show notes so you can see all of the all of the creepy John Boy Anaconda moments.
1: Cool. I'm glad I found another bad dog film to watch because me and Adam have already had one weekend where we only watched bad dog films or yeah, it's so bad they're so good dog films or films starring talking dogs that kind of thing we could add this one to the ones more of them just keep more and more of them just keep on emerging it's like actually a really really amazing kind of sub-genre um in and of itself so you've got sherlock bones um yeah. <sighs> cool dog what else um underdog we didn't watch that one at the time maybe it was just sherlock bones and cool dog but there are quite a few of them and they're all brilliant but yeah i'm going to go watch the trailer um, what about for karate dog
0: <laughs> what about the millions upon millions of airbud sequels
1: oh man see airbud's cute though like airbud's a very very adorable dog i did actually watch the baseball one which is called golden receiver when i was looking for some inspiration <laughs> i think that's airbud 7 um but yeah yeah they definitely fall into that genre and are kind of um yeah classics of the genre but they the they're the the mainstream examples of the genre i think some of the other ones are maybe the more the more indie hits but yeah i got time for airbud and for air pups as well is it air pups or air buddies which is like the puppies and they they they're christmas ones um we started watching one once which is called which is like air buddies and santa Paws or whatever and it had santa coming to new york and then santa got mugged and then claire was like i can't watch this we've got to turn it off <laughs>
0: is that out of out of concern for santa claus or out of just it's so bad that she has to leave the room
1: both bit of both i mean obviously he got (laughs) mugged so that a bunch of cute puppies could come and save him but she wasn't waiting around for the puppies to show up She's like i don't want to see santa getting mugged which is fair
0: (laughs) it could be worse it could be um Airbud goes deep south and Santa Claus happens to be part of the crew that gets attacked in deliverance.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um nobody wants to see that. Um I I'm personally holding out hope for for Airbud seventy nine, um, which is where he becomes an international assassin.
1: <laughs> yeah, crossbow. They haven't done archery yet, as far as I know.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's slowly start train getting his spy training up. Um, and then he could do like a crossover with cats and dogs apart from make it incredibly violent and I was going to Tarantino to direct
1: yeah there you go this this shit writes itself (laughs) that would almost certainly definitely be better than whatever nonsense Tarantino's working on right now
0: do you reckon that he should so he's making this movie about the Manson murders do you reckon he should make it and all of the cast members should be dogs
1: yeah Yeah, that's the only thing that could get me to want to see a Tarantino film in the cinema is if it was an all dog cast.
0: Django Unleashed.
1: (laughs) The Hateful Litter of Eight.
0: Inglorious Bitches.
1: (laughs) Reservoir Dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Pup Fiction.
0: The shit writes itself. It's it's too easy. It's just too
1: easy. Uh, Yeah, come on, Tarantino, mate. Sort it out. Get your fucking dog shit together. You need
0: you need to to remake your entire back catalogue of films with dogs.
1: Yeah. Why he is? It's actually it's offensive to me that he isn't doing that already. To be honest.
0: One day like history is going to look back at Tarantino and say, you know, it was all right, but where are all the fucking dog movies?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. This is, this has been fun. I feel like, yeah, we could have a whole other podcast about bad dog films, but yeah, if any, if one of these has like a, <laughs> has a, a vaguely romantic plot in it, I'm, I'm going to shoehorn it in at some point.
0: all right all right yeah i agree we're almost 15
1: episodes in this is the point at which we start to really properly drift
0: (laughs) are there any are there any movies about like conspiracy theories that also have dogs in
1: oh can we combine all elements into one there's got to be i think underdog um has some kind of alien subplot as well like the dog is actually an alien or something so that's that's conspiracy theory territory i guess
0: that's the one where it's basically Superman, but a dog, isn't it? Yeah. That's underdog.
1: Yeah. That's it's not basically. That is exactly, exactly the plot of the <laughs> All film. All right. Okay. Even down to, I think there's like a cat Lex Luthor or some shit.
0: Oh my God. i just looked at the IMDb page. What the hell is Peter Dinklage doing? I know. In this movie. It's,
1: it's pre-Game of Thrones as well, Peter isn't Dinklage. it?
0: Patrick Warburton. Who's oh that? my god,
1: Amy Adams! I know. Lovely, lovely Amy Adams.
0: Oh my god, that this is unbelievable! What are all these people doing in a film about
1: a dog superhero? Well, wouldn't you want to be in a film about a dog superhero?
0: Not necessarily.
1: <laughs> your, your silence was to... speaking, speaking volumes.
0: Why would I want to be in a film about a dog superhero when I could rather
1: be in a world with dog superheroes? This is That's true. my dream, yeah. Gotta think big. We've got to make it happen. Yeah. Once with all the money that we make off of sensations, that's when we we're gonna get so rich that we're gonna be able to build worlds and that's how we're gonna make it happen.
0: <laughs> I thought we were just gonna start doing terrible science experiments where we try and create dog superheroes.
1: Yeah. It'll get to the point where we'll, we'll make the film, but we won't be able to put the disclaimer that says no dogs were harmed in the making of this film because it will be untrue. <laughs> you know what? I saw a, a <laughs> oh, tweet this week. <laughs> I saw a tweet earlier saying that there's some kind of island off the coast of Scotland that's on sale for 325 grand. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We could buy that island, get a bunch of dogs, put them in capes. Superhero dog island done (laughs) this is my dream i'm all over that plan (laughs) dog island superhero dog island superhero dog island actually that sounds like a a forgotten sega genesis sega game gear game doesn't it yeah went for the american name created by god knows what reason
0: sega mega drive sega genesis yeah sega mega drive
1: i think it's because i've been playing on uh, playing some emulators and um, it's always called oh, Genesis on the emulators.
0: Yeah, I prefer Mega Drive.
1: Yeah, me sounds too.
0: more shit futuristic than Genesis.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't remind you of Phil Collins. <laughs> oh, Phil! Oh, Oh Get out, Phil! That's our nice little ending tangent as well. I think we should we should wrap it up because we're we're running long once again. We're running longer every time, we are, which we is are. good.
0: I thought I thought. Yeah. I thought we were going to be on time and then all of the dog chat started.
1: Yeah. That's the that's <laughs> the the story you could that anyone who has ever had a conversation with me will tell you. <laughs> uh, in fact, I might um I might get uh, that as a as a quotation on my gravestone.
0: <laughs> I think at your funeral as well, you need to it, the funeral needs to be like winding up and then have to have the doors locked and then a pre recorded tape of you talking about dogs for 15 minutes has to start. Yeah, well, and the... then only when that's finished, that's when people are allowed to leave.
1: Yeah, or well, the, the officiant comes up and he's got and he goes, So, who here's seen a Bichon freeze? <laughs> Fluffy <laughs> as hell, aren't they? <laughs> I've got hours worth of this kind of dog material. Oh uh, man, dogs are the best. Amazing, great, cool. So, what is your choice for next time?
0: Well, I realise that this may well be the last choice I get to make before your incredible wedding day.
1: It's possible, but the day um, that this episode goes out will, in fact, be the day before my wedding.
0: Yeah. Um. So, to get into that frame of mind, both for you and for our listeners um i'm going for the wedding singer
1: oh nice okay that's a good one i suppose at least we'll probably will watch it and get to record before the wedding so that's good and that is a film yeah, i have seen yeah, a I... number of times and do and do like so uh, but have not watched in a long time so that's good
0: yeah no i i've not seen it in years either so i'm 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 looking forward but yeah i figured we need to get we need to get a wedding movie in
1: yep that's a that's um... a very good idea Nice one. And I think we have not covered Adam Sandler yet.
0: No, this will be our first venture into the terrible filmography of Adam Sandler <laughs> with one of his good movies. Yeah, I
1: have I have a lot of thoughts on Adam Sandler, but we, yeah, we've got to save them for next time. Yes, yes. Cool. Well, I'll look forward to talking to you about that. So yeah. as always, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at BigBoysDon'tPod. You can email us at BigBoysDon'tCryPodcast at com. Please do. We always love to hear from you. Any requests, don't worry. We will get to them. We have our long list and such. Any of your thoughts about anything, just let us know. And keep it romantic, you all. Alrighty. Right. See you next time. Bye.